Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, folks. And welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burris, here with my co-host and A to Z Sports, Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. If you want to listen to that regularly, make sure you go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on uh, Apple, Spotify, and uh, you can subscribe there. And if you do, you won't miss a single episode when they drop on Mondays. I'm at Charlie underscore Burris. Zach is at Zach TNT. And he's at A to Z Sports on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Instagram, which is uh, down right now, and you can't even use it, so that's fun. And then uh, this next one you can't do either for the time being, although when you listen to this, you probably will be able to do it. Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Natural. And find everything that we do with all of our Tennessee coverage and everything else A to Z Sports does. Well, well, well. It feels good to start uh, this show and not only not have to talk about a Tennessee football loss, but we get to talk about a really, really impressive Tennessee football win. I, I will say I personally had a bit of a roller coaster weekend. Uh, as an avid Tennessee Titans fan, we had probably the worst loss that the franchise has had in, mm, I don't know. The last five, seven years or so. So I kind of went from an amazing win on Saturday to a horrific, horrific loss in me screaming to fire the coach on Sunday. But nonetheless, this is not a Titans podcast. So let's talk about this win over Mizzou. Zach, what's up? Uh, well, to kind of put a bow on that Titans talk real quick, the best tweet of the year I've seen, uh, Dr. Vall, who tweets at us a lot, <laughs> his screenshot of somebody else saying uh, they need to fire like Vrabel and uh, uh, somebody else associated with the team. And right under his tweet, you know, 15 seconds later was from you saying, fire everyone associated with the Titans. <laughs> he captioned it, whatever, however stream you're going, Charlie Burris has already went 1,000, you know, percent past whatever you can go. <laughs> it was the most well-timed I've tweet I've ever seen. My Here's what I know. I, I have rooted, I tweeted this also, or some version of this. I have watched Tennessee sports my whole life. I have watched a whole bunch of class A morons take over the Tennessee football program, screw it up, uh, and then they are allowed to sit there and pile drive the program into the ground when they should have already been fired. And I've just seen it. Been there, done that. Oh, and the Titans, I mean, the Titans have had that too. They're a little quicker to action, thankfully. I mean, they they fired a guy after he went to the second round of the playoffs and to try to make the franchise better. But still, they've had a whole line of crap coaches. And so I just know a loser when I see one. And so, you know, you have the worst loss in the last like five years of uh, the franchise pretty much out on you. And when I'm done... I'm done. I mean, I had people talking, oh, this isn't that. It's just this one game, and he'd been, and the NFL is the NFL is very co- No. Mike Rabel needs to go. He's done. He's cooked. It's over. Just get rid of the guy. He sucks. I, the, the, it's, I feel it was the turn that everything took with Pruitt last year. You reached, it was the Kentucky game. This was the Kentucky game of last mm-hmm. year for the Titans this year. Uh, you know, you just, you watch that, and you just go, hmm, well, that's it. That's, it's over. Yeah, this is, we're done here. Um, and so that fun stuff. But <laughs> just to relate it, we can tie it all in there because the my thoughts on the Titans had some to do with, uh, with Tennessee also. But now we don't have to talk about firing a coach if we talk about Tennessee football, at least not yet. Hopefully everybody knock on the closest available wood because Tennessee 
beat Missouri into the dirt 62-24. This, I mean, we had gotten close on the predictions in the last couple of games, Zach. This was off the map. Tennessee just ruled this game from the second that it began. It was it was over when it started. I mean, it was crazy. I technically, I believe Tennessee had the game won with two minutes left in the first quarter. They had enough points to win this game. So just a total beatdown. What were your thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, we they pretty much doubled our score prediction. We both had thirty four. They they scored sixty two. It was it was a fun game to watch. The offense was clicking. Uh, but kind of like Josh Heupel pointed out today during his Monday press conference. Don't forget about the defense. You know, the defense is playing better than I think any of us really expected. And how about Jeremy Banks making some big plays? The interception that he almost returned for a touchdown was huge, even though he nearly fumbled in the middle of that play when nobody even touched him. (laughs) I've went back and watched that play about 15 times now, and I still don't understand how that ball popped out of his arm. But he he kept possession of it. No harm, no foul. The most impressive thing I thought Jeremy Banks did was in the, I I believe it was the first drive of the game maybe, where he had the sack and he did not get a penalty sacking the quarterback. And for Jeremy Banks, that's that's progress. And I think all over this field uh, for Tennessee, you're seeing progress in the way that these kids are being coached, the discipline. they still have a ways to go, but they, they've made progress in five games. It's really exciting to think about where they can go the rest of the season. And that's something Heupel said after the game. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Obviously, he's happy they scored 62 points, but he wants he, you know he, he still sees room for improvement. And that, that's exciting because he doesn't think they've hit their ceiling yet. And there's, there's still a lot of room to grow for Tennessee's offense here. There was marked and obvious improvement week over week, which is so beautiful to see uh, after what we watched with Pruitt for those years. Uh, and and just seeing, I mean, this was the biggest knock on Butch all, his player, player development. Obviously, we got to see if this goes all season long and, and how, how it turns out. But you had a kid in Jeremy Banks is a prime example playing the cleanest game of his career, if not overall the best game of his career, because he made some really dynamic plays also like a really nice sack. And that's great to see, because if you can get, harness a player like that and actually get him to cut out the boneheaded plays, the dude is full of talent and just get him to make the football play rather than get him to make the football play and the boneheaded play that screws your team over. Uh, and, and so that's huge. The penalties the or lack thereof. That was huge. You you and I talked about that in, in the post-game show, and if you want to go watch that, Zach and I, uh, Zach filled in for Jonathan Crofton on our game day reaction show, and uh, that was a good time, but we we broke it down where the most obvious change, uh, it seemed like, was that they cut out the penalties, and it made a world of difference because so many of these penalties in past games, you're going on a, on a nice drive, moving down the field. And then some stupid penalty and it just backs you up and it screws everything up and then it stalls out and you have to punt the ball back and, it, and you cut those out. The great drive just becomes a touchdown. I mean, in this game, it was what, six straight touchdowns, I believe, didn't didn't punt in the entire game. Uh, who knows when the last time was that that happened? Um, I, it was it was impressive all the way around, probably to some extent an anomaly of a game. The more that I've, I've studied it because it was just so clean from front to back and just so well played as far as Tennessee was concerned. I mean, that was, I don't want to say it was a perfect game, but like as close to it as you can probably get with the roster that Tennessee has right now. Um, and so I thir- thoroughly impressed, thoroughly yeah. impressed. I don't want to beat it into the ground, but you, I said it on, on, on Saturday, you did what you were supposed to do against Missouri. And if you saw this final score and said that this was Missouri versus, you know, another SEC East team, who who were they playing? And all you saw was the final score. I think your first reaction would be Georgia or Florida, because that's what you would expect the final score of a Georgia-Florida game, you know, against Missouri to be. So not that Tennessee's on on par with Florida or Georgia yet. They've already lost to Florida, even though they played well. But they're doing what they're supposed to do against these teams, and they're doing it faster than I expected them to. I mean, I, I before the season, I thought they would lose to Missouri just because I thought Missouri's offense was better than that. I thought it would be a shootout, and I didn't think Tennessee's off, uh, defense would be able to stop 
Missouri's offense, but we just the improvement, how fast we've seen it, uh, that's been impressive. I think the other thing that really impresses me about Josh Heupel is just how poised he is as a head coach. I mean, you can just tell he's done this before, but you know, even Butch Jones had done this before. Butch Jones had been a head coach at, at, at Central Michigan, at Cincinnati. He had the experience, but he was still, obviously, he was never comfortable. We've talked about it plenty of times, not comfortable in his own skin. Josh Heupel, he's very comfortable in who he is. He He's not concerned about how he's perceived or, or any of the outside noise that he kind of talked talked about today that you, you can't listen to the positive or the negative. You just have to go attack the day and, and win the day type cliche stuff, but it's true. He just seems at ease. Like in the midst of that game, at all times, he just seemed relaxed and like he knew exactly what he was going to do. He had his plan. He's done this many times before, and that's got to be kind of uh, reassuring for Tennessee fans just to know they have somebody that's not going to panic out there. The, I agree. Uh, I don't know that I had thought about it that much just because I was so impressed with the play on the field itself, but that is true. I, he he definitely brings a demeanor that is really even keeled and feels mm-hmm. competent. Like you just can look at him and be like, I think he probably knows what he's doing right here. And that's good because you, man, with Butch, especially in close games, and we'll have to see how Heupel does in, in a, in future close games. Cause he may, you know, you, you can get tight and screw up, but Butch, there was just always this feeling of like, Oh, we got a lead. But Butch Jones is still our coach. And I don't know, just hang on for dear life. And hopefully that translates over to cro- close games with Heibel. But yeah, I mean, you certainly saw that there was no, on, on one hand, there's no crazy jumping around on the sidelines and stuff in celebration, which I mean, I don't mind seeing as much, but also I like I don't get when they are getting slapped around by Florida in that second half. I also didn't look and go like, oh, that his oh, like per, a perfect example, it, like Urban Meyer right now with the outside of his whole infidelity and everything that <laughs> has come to light uh, or whatever he was doing with that that he, blonde he did lady. Apolo- he did apologize today. Oh, thank goodness Sorry. that was needed, <laughs> but <laughs> but. I mean, his body language on the sidelines with the Jags is horrific. I mean, he just looks like he wants to be on another planet. He's rather gonna than Bobby, <laughs> He's going to Bobby Petrino this like he did oh, with yeah. the Falcons. He's going to leave notes in the lockers with like a little, <laughs> like a Xbox or something, parting gift. Or it is over. Yeah, I, it, that's, it was over before it began, much like this Tennessee football game. Um, and <laughs> so, I, like, I didn't see that with Hypo, just... He is even keeled and there's a lot of value to that. And hopefully it does in, in a tighter situation a more stressful situation. It does stick around. Um, yeah, it's not saying he's going to be perfect, but after watching the way Jeremy Pruitt handled himself. And at first I think we kind of liked the emotion for Jeremy Pruitt because I'm, you know, sports are all about emotion to, to some extent. And, and I like seeing emotion from players and coaches. Uh, it's why you want to see a, uh, Saturday night game in Neyland Stadium for the energy that's there, you know. But at the same time, when it's misguided, like Jeremy Pruitt's was, kicking the whiteboard, just frustration, just literally firing a guy in the middle of a game, you you can't do that kind of stuff and expect anybody to respect you as a head coach or to look to you in a moment where it is a tense game because those moments are going to happen. And when Tennessee's close game in the fourth quarter against Florida and they've got a chance to win and Heupel's talking to these kids, telling them what to do. This is what we're going to do. Believe in me. This is going to work. I feel like they're going to believe him just because he's been that even keel, calm, guiding presence there for them. It, it was also an interesting element that I, I was thinking about coaches, you know, and it got me thinking about Kip. I don't know how to explain how I went A to B here, but Kiffin this weekend, just talking about a coach that just he sometimes he beclowns himself, however you want to put that, uh, went out, thought he was real cool. And and I think a lot of people have thought that Kiffin had finally shed a lot of this and he goes out hmm. and before the football game, while we were on the postgame show, actually, people were putting it in the comments on our postgame show. <laughs> 
Giffen goes out and puts on the headset and is talking to the the CVS lady and is like, get your popcorn ready. And he throws the headset looking like a total idiot and then goes out and just gets annihilated by Alabama. (laughs) Just they didn't even look like they were in the same league. They might as well not even been playing on that football field. And I like I liked when Kiffin was here in his bravado and, you know, like Mm -hmm. Lil Wayne talked about him in a rap song and stuff. I, for everything that Tennessee has gone through right now, I like that Josh Heupel is a low-key, even-keeled, just straightforward dude. Uh, and for, for for right now, it's kind of... You went from two extremes of like Butch, who was nothing but coach chalk, just total nonsense all the time, blowing smoke up everybody's butt 24-7, to Pruitt, who couldn't put those sentences together. And I feel like... Heupel, he's a lot coach speak, and he definitely he walks the walk. But I, I also get from him, he's just a no nonsense, straightforward well, guy, and I just not, I appreciate it. He's not trying to convince you that his system works. I feel like Pruitt, yeah, oh, especially Butch, but even Pruitt, they were both trying to convince you that they knew what they were doing. They were telling you that they knew what they were doing. Pruitt constantly talked down to reporters about defenses and and how they operate, and it's like. Your players don't even understand what you're trying to do. Uh, nobody understands what you're trying to do. The, you know, these are 18, 22-year-old kids and then a bunch of reporters, um, most of which probably didn't play football at a high level. Yeah, of course you're talking over everyone's head. What are you trying to prove here? Uh, and Butch Butch just always was insecure, of course, and, and trying to prove that that the system was going to work, and it kind of did a little bit, but not really. Hypo just does it. He just explains what he's trying to do. He he's genuine when he answers the questions about you know the system and how it works and and what their plan is or what they're trying to accomplish. He's not talking down to people. You just kind of believe him now. You know whether or not it works long term. You know he's going to lose some games. That's all that's going to happen. I'm sure there will be some point when Tennessee fans are upset at him. It's not always going to be a love fest, but it is it is uh, refreshing uh, so far. Yeah. That- speaking of speaking of Lane Kiffin. On that on that topic, I think if he crashes and burns here at Ole Miss, and I never really felt like he was going to until Saturday when he kind of pulled that stunt with the headset thing and then got blown out, you really see how Kiffin at some some point as a head coach, he's got to prove that he's more than just a good play caller and he's not just all personality. I think if if this goes bad, the Kiffin obsession is finally going to be over. Like, this I, is the end of it. Because this is truly his shot to be the guy. Like he, I, I don't even, I didn't even see so much that I loved at, at FAU. I would have been granted if Tennessee had gone out and stolen Kiffin from Ole Miss, I would have said that was a great hire. Mm-hmm. And to whatever extent his, his offense, like Heupel, I think his offense is effective and, and solid. Well, um, FAU, it was kind of Kendall Bryles when he had him the first year or so. Yeah, that's when, it, that's when it really operated at a high level. Because he's gone and and has made himself look really good at his other stops. Um, and, he's in Arkansas now, right? Yeah, and, and obviously they got absolutely drilled. Yeah, well, Georgia's defense, I think, is uh, the real deal. If... Here's where I'll be truly impressed. You can lose this game, but if you score 21 points on Georgia, yeah, that's an accomplishment. That's you should be lauded, applauded. Uh, I, I mean, that defense is that's an NFL. It's an NFL defense. It's just the defense be, full of guys. To be fair, Clemson is nowhere near as good as we thought they were. Whenever Georgia and Clemson played the open the season, they're out of the top 25 now. Yeah, it's 10, which is crazy. Um, I mean, Georgia has the, that offense could, could be better. I mean, I know they, they laid the truck stick on, on Arkansas. I mean, it might've just been a perfect storm there with that game. Cause there was just so much hype with Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we were probably putting the card in front of the horse a little bit. Cause it turns out Texas A&M sort yeah. of stinks. They lost, they lost at home to Mississippi state over the weekend and no offense. I mean, I mean, it's just Alabama and Georgia right now, right? It is. That's that's, that's the whole point. We're all just toiling underneath those two teams. 
because they went out and they hoarded every single five-star player on planet Earth, both of them, whatever they had to do to get them. <laughs> and um, then they got other teams' five-star players. Yes, and, and you know, t- Tennessee filtered a few players down to both of those joints, too, uh, when Pruitt left. And so, I mean, it, it is, it's two powerhouses. Alabama, Alabama is much more balanced than Georgia, I would say. Um, but, and, and I think at the end of the day, you're still going to see that bear out. I just, it, until Kirby can find out how to coach a quarterback, I just don't know how he can win uh, a, a title. But either way, um, it, it is just everybody battling for third place at this point. That's the whole thing. But I, I, sorry, I agree. Uh, just when you do play Georgia, just make them play defense. Just make them just get them on their heels a little bit and put some pressure on them and show that you can be uh, at least as effective as Clemson or whoever else Georgia's played this year. Just just do something. Don't go out there like Arkansas and, and not score. That That would be frustrating. Yeah. Well, let's – Let's do get into a little bit of the minutia too, because when it comes, to, I think about like that Georgia game or something, and you would have to, you would have to have phenomenal offensive line play, because mm-hmm. that defensive line is just monstrous. And obviously, you're playing South Carolina this coming week. South Carolina almost lost to Troy over the weekend, so you know, not totally sweat bullets quite yet. Uh, I mean, Tennessee is a, a twelve and a half point favorite at home over South Carolina. It's been a while, I think, since Tennessee's been a double digit favorite mm-hmm. over a team that's not named Vanderbilt. Th- that was pretty interesting to see. I, I will say that because even you know, I kind of said it was it felt like a little bit of an an anomalous game there with just how comprehensively Tennessee beat Missouri. And it feels like you might see a little bit of regression to the mean with the South Carolina game. Uh, to see, I mean, a 13-point favorite is crazy. But at the same time, I look and I go, if things go correctly for Tennessee, I think that's about right, actually. Yeah. So, uh, but that offensive line play would have to be great. We've looked at Tennessee's offensive line and thought, the the starters, that's a solid set of players. But the depth there, I, I don't know. And and they, they looked real good against Missouri. I mean, the running game, obviously, Missouri's... Run defense is just <laughs> well, probably one of the worst run defense I've ever seen. And I'm, I mean, you get what? How much did Tennessee run for? Four hundred some odd yards. Yeah, just an insane, insane. Well, I mean, uh, Missouri fired their defensive line coach after the game. Yeah, I, I mean, it was that bad. Uh, and and then I saw some uh it was a tight end for Missouri or something today was tweeting he was he was emo tweeting um getting his feelings out Tennessee just Tennessee is out here ruining programs uh that's that's Josh Heupel's MO I guess but what I you know was leading to there credit to the offensive line there because yeah Missouri's defensive line is horrific their defense in general was just so 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 bad but you still have to have the guys go out there and execute. You didn't execute this well against Tennessee Tech. I mean, Tennessee Tech at some points, and and really Bowling Green more than Tennessee Tech, but like against Bowling Green, you kind of look and you go, I don't know, you're getting pushed around a little bit with this offensive line, and it seems like in four weeks, they've come around uh, a little bit more. Hopefully that continues on with South Carolina, especially until Ole Miss, Georgia, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I, I was impressed from there, and when you can start in the trenches, that's that's a great sign, man. When you can get those guys really going, and they were just they were moving, moving earth all over the place, and I I was impressed. Well, I think you know you really have to to hope though moving forward. I just thought about this while we were talking about this South Carolina game, and and looking forward, they can't put the cart before the horse here and just assume this is going to be a win because I feel like that's the road we're going down right now, and I've caught myself kind of doing it today and yesterday. It's a win. You're looking past it to the old Miss game already. I was talk, uh, texting with Austin Stanley earlier today, one of, one of the co-owners of A to Z Sports, about how big the old Miss game is going to be. And they got to beat South Carolina first. I mean, this isn't a game where they're going to walk in and just win just by showing up. Uh, hopefully, Heupel is able to keep these guys focused because I know everybody, I mean, we're hyping Tennessee's offense up. It's hard not to after a performance like that. When everything clicked and it's what you expect to see, it's hard not to 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 be excited about that, but they have to do it again 
and they have to do it against South Carolina. They can't let their guard down and, and let this be a trap game, especially yeah. it's a noon game at Neyland. This is an this is an interesting test and a test that I don't think any of us thought would happen <laughs> at this point in in the year. You're gonna have to rein in people blowing smoke about you. I mean, that's I don't think anybody ever thought that was going to happen to Tennessee this season because you you just look at that roster and you go, when are they? There's not going to be a game like that. And then all of a sudden, I mean, you had national guys looking and going, wow, look at Tennessee just laying the wood to Missouri and and a Missouri team that like gave uh, Kentucky all that Kentucky could handle and Kentucky went out and beat Florida. Um, and let's let's also say all credit to Tennessee for that. They clearly, obviously, I think this is without question, uh, wore down Florida to to a near nub. Florida was just obliterated uh, after they had to play Tennessee, and clearly they set up Kentucky to be able to beat Florida. So you're welcome, Kentucky. That was all Tennessee. Yeah, um, nothing to do with Dan Mullen's uh, <laughs> annual incompetence game because he has a couple Man. like that every year, dating back to Mississippi State. Oh yeah, he always did it at Mississippi State, and then yeah, he was just carrying carrying it over beautifully to Florida. They played like garbage; it was mm-hmm. bad. Uh, and I mean, K- Kentucky <laughs> had like two hundred yards of offense or something. It was so bad, so bad. I think K- Kentucky's entire offense like did they only score ten points offensive? No, seventeen points offensively, I guess, and then a, a defensive touchdown. I think. Um, I mean, just yikes. Uh, way to go, Dan Mullen. Uh, you, why can't you freaking play that game against Tennessee every once in a while? How about? Dang it. Uh, but nonetheless. <laughs> I um, think uh, something else that that's worth mentioning about talking about Tennessee's offense, as jumping around a little bit here, is something else I thought about is how balanced their offense has been. They've shown mm-hmm. they can run the ball. They've thrown the ball. You've had a lot of different people contributing. Obviously, Tyon Evans and, and Javante Payton, or Velas Jones and Javante Payton and Tyon Evans. Jabari Small, those have been your four main guys. But other guys like Marcus Pierce, Walcon getting some action this week and contributing. Cedric Tillman, Jacob Warren, and Princeton Fant, tight ends. I mean, who knew it? Lenith Whitehead, <laughs> Saw some action finally this week at running back. And you still got guys like Jalen Wright. I, I don't think he's quite healthy right now is the reason we're not seeing more of him. Same with Jalen Hyatt. But they're really spreading the ball around. So it's not like it's just one guy that, that's doing this damage for Tennessee. And that that's good to see. You made me just just think of it. I'll I'll throw this in. I'll try to be as the the least specific that I can be. Um Sorry, this is beside the point of what you just said. I agree with what you just said. Good point. <laughs> um, my parents were out in public at some place this past weekend, um, or the the weekend before, maybe, and they met somebody who is the parent of one of the people that you just mentioned, one of the players, mm-hmm. and he said that he uh he watches he listens to the show and he likes us. Oh wow. <laughs> so that's we're we're Tennessee football parent approved. Um so anyway, I just had to throw that in there because you mentioned some you mentioned the person there. I'll tell you off air who it who it was and what it was. But uh so current player, right? Yes, yes. Okay, it was so one of the one of the guys you just mentioned. I was, didn't think it would be Jared Garantano's family. <laughs> no, it was not uh it was not Jared's dad. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> they might still be around town, I don't know. Um but the circling all the way back to to what we were talking about. Yes. I loved what I saw from the offense. It was so nice. Hopefully it continues and I I think what the overarching point of everything that we've been saying here is that Tennessee looks like they're getting better. And that's incredible. Because you just... I think I already mentioned it. Like, that was such a huge knock on Butch, where it just looked like they regressed throughout a season. They regressed further into players' careers. It was like guys got worse but over they regressed, time somehow. They regressed in the middle of games. Yes. Oh, um, it was yeah. funny today, uh, when, when Facebook was working earlier, uh, a Facebook memory popped up for me, and it was the first time that Tennessee ever had Checker Nealon. Uh, it was for the Florida game in 2014. It's hard to believe that's been seven years ago. But that was one of the first games. I think that's a game where Butch lost some people. 
even though it was only his second year. I mean, Tennessee dominated that game pretty much. And Butch never really went forward on fourth down. Had Jalen Hurd. 10-9? 10, 10, 10, yes, yeah, yeah. Tennessee was up 9 nothing. I guess, going into the fourth quarter, I believe, maybe. And he just gave that game away because he coached scared and Tennessee couldn't finish in the second half. And that, I mean, that became a recurring theme of Butch Jones's tenure at Tennessee, especially in 2015 and, and to some extent in 2016, I guess. But with Heupel against Missouri, you saw this team play with effort all the way to the end. I mean, they're still trying to score. They're still trying to run their offense, put points on the board. Because look, even if even if the game's wrapped up, those are still opportunities to get better. Those are still opportunities to rep things, to get some of these players into the game like he did with Marcus Pierce and Whitehead and some of these guys who haven't really played as much early in the season. He got them in the game, ran the offense with them. Something happens, maybe you can count on those guys just because of what happened in this game instead of just running a vanilla offense and just kind of running the clock out, which, I mean, they did that a little bit. But just his coaching, the way he approached this game with a lead gives me confidence that even when they're trying to come from behind, that he's just going to be a lot different approach than what we saw with Butch Jones. Absolutely. If you want to get me on your side, in terms of my general mentality, what I love to see from a football coach, do what Josh Heupel did when he was up. I, what was it? 21 to 3, 28 to 3, or whatever it was. Facing fourth down at the five-yard line. You could have kicked a field goal. But he went for the throat and said, I don't care that I'm up by this much. There's no mercy. I'm not going to just back down because, oh, we're up by a lot. We got to just, I got to take it easy. He went. He got that first down. He scored a touchdown. And just kind of said, if you don't like it, stop me. And I love that. Love that. Because in a big game against a better opponent, stepping on somebody's neck can make all the difference. Where you, you know, just being proactive instead of reactive butch was always so reactive to everything mm-hmm. he was like just let me hang on for dear life and hopefully it'll just it'll work out <laughs> i mean that's why that's why the only time the man ever beat florida was coming from way behind you were down by 21 in that game and you had to come back from 21 down and the only reason that tennessee won that game is because they were coming from behind if they had played from ahead that whole game no way tennessee wins no way and so yeah if you want me on your side be aggressive like that hopefully hypo continues uh, cause that's, I loved that seeing that and just him, him going, go ahead, stop me. What do you want me to do? Not play football that I want to play. Sorry. And I mean, it's, that's, that's great. That's really the one consistent trait you see from every single elite head coach from Bill Belichick to Nick Saban, anywhere in between pros, college, it doesn't matter. I watched Belichick do it for years with the Patriots it's a tight game. They're up. They're sitting on a lead, or they they have the lead. This is the fourth quarter. They have the ball on their own forty-five, and it's fourth and nine, and he's going for it because he's not going to give you the ball back. And that aggressiveness, consistently like that, is what separates, I think, an elite coach from a from a non-elite coach, from a scared coach. I mean, saw it with Butch Jones. We've seen decisions, maybe the Mike Vrabel decision to not go for two yesterday that that could have won them the game. Um, But I really do think that's what separates coaches. I mean, obviously, there's certain situations where you you have to punt, whatever. Belichick's not an idiot. These guys know what to do. But typically, they're aggressive, and they go for it. And they're not going to give you the opportunity to win the game. They're not going to put the ball in your hands. They're going to control their own destiny type deal. And hopefully that's what we get from Heupel. I don't know enough of his coaching history. I didn't watch enough of him at UCF to really know how he operates in those situations. But I hope what you're talking about there going for it on fourth down with the big lead is a precursor of what we're going to see. I do too. It's because that was out of anything that happened in that game. Some of those plays were really, really exciting. But seeing a coaching decision like that, because that bodes well for the future. Mm-hmm. where you go, if you take that mentality into a big game and you step on somebody's neck, you're going to win. It's and contagious, too. Players love that. Yes. They I, always want to go for it. 
That's why I never, because I got responses. I tweeted that out, essentially what I just said, that I just loved it. And I got responses from people. Like somebody was like, Nick Saban doesn't do that even though he beats you by 40 points That's every year. True. First of all, does. <laughs> yes, he does. But second, if he really did it, just like absolutely nailed us to the ground every year, I would go, well, we shouldn't suck so bad because mm-hmm. that's that's the whole thing is just Tennessee stinks and needs to go and get better players and better coaches and win football games. Not that Nick Saban needs to handicap his own team to try to placate not, Tennessee yeah. fans feelings. And look, in an SEC game, I don't care if it's Vanderbilt, Alabama. Well, maybe Vanderbilt this year. Maybe you can have some mercy there. I don't you know. You might win by like but, 90 if you do that. But, but typically... <laughs> In an SEC game, no lead is really safe. I mean, we've yeah. seen some teams really blow it and blow some big leads. You have to keep your foot down or you'll let a team creep back into a game and all of a sudden, fourth quarter, it's a two-possession game and folks are getting a little nervous and that's when bad decisions really happen. So keep your foot down, conference game. You can never have too many points. I'm with you. If you don't like it, stop the other team. That's all you got to do. You play to win the game. <laughs> That's the mentality. I, I did. Yeah, I loved that from Hypo. Uh, so let's get into here in the in the last part of the show, the South Carolina game coming up, uh, which I I don't want to gloss over it, but this also kind of serves as a sort of a sign for the old Miss game, and I think a lot of people are thinking about that just because they so badly want to win that old Miss game. Uh, and I think that's an element we can talk about also is just like, well, if this happens, how do we feel about that game? Um, but going into South Carolina, you win by a, a ton of points this week. Is is it easy? Do we do we just uh, roll on through or do you do you feel maybe a little trap game with us feeling ourselves? I think Hypo is guarding against the trap game pretty well. I mean, during his press conference today, I think I mentioned it earlier. He talked about avoiding the outside noise, not just the negative, but the positive as well. Uh, somebody said to him, uh, mentioned Cade Mays being named uh, SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week or, or something like that, and some sort of a, an award that he got. He didn't even know it. He had no clue. He said congrats, hmm. or Cade Mays, not, not Cooper. Um, He said congrats. He didn't know. And that just kind of shows that he really isn't paying attention to the outside noise, if, if he's being honest there. But yeah, you, you can't get lost in your own press. You can't read that stuff and believe it because uh, every week's a new week. And that's something else that Hypel kind of talked about. When you see this uh, where Kentucky beats Florida, but Florida beat Tennessee by 20-some points. I mean, any team can beat any team in general in any given week. Uh, every week's a new week. You just have to approach it like that. So I think he'll have this team kind of prepared for that and in the right mentality. If he does, then I think we'll see Tennessee, maybe not to the same extent as they did against Missouri, but I think we'll see them continue to roll with the offense this week. I hope so, because there's there's so much to learn from this game, because it was this Missouri game was unexpected. This type of a beatdown, I think we all thought it was going to be close and contentious and probably make you feel a little, you know, not super confident with the South Carolina game, but I want to just go, Tennessee's going to roll. But I I think the, the offense will continue, barring any injuries or anything like that. Hooker's healthy, which is good, uh, and playing well. I mean, that was his best <laughs> game. Dude was incredibly efficient against Missouri. So, I, you know, I just see all of that together where you're finding out that Tyon Evans is a real dog. Jabari Small makes that a really nice one-two punch. You have Valus Jones Jr. making huge plays. You have the offensive line playing better than they have been. And you just take all that together and you go, how does a team playing like that, if their head is in the right place, how does a team playing like that go out and, and lose to the South Carolina team, which maybe Shane Beamer will have it going in the future. But for right now, I mean, it's just not. They really got pushed hard by Troy. I watched the end of that game. That game was a comedy of errors. There's so many. I think in the fourth quarter, there was like three or four turnovers um, combined from both teams. I mean, it was a clown show. And uh, so I, I just I think if you can 
keep them focused, keep them going in the right direction. That offense works for sure. And then the defense, I mean, I think they'll probably, well, I don't know. I mean, I thought that Missouri would push Tennessee more than South Carolina. What? Because South Carolina's offense is not very good. And so it's, I don't, I don't know exactly how to analyze this game. Like, should I analyze it from a competent, uh, confident position and say like all the signs point to Tennessee really kind of steamrolling South Carolina? Cause frankly they do, but I also have to take it with a grain of salt and go like this roster is still really thin. And you know, if you have a couple of mistakes, maybe you fumble, maybe you throw an interception, things can turn on a dime but I don't want to like wish those into existence. So I, I'm not sure exactly how to approach it because as if I'm being totally honest, as a Tennessee fan, I want to approach with caution. I just, I can't help myself. Yeah, that's definitely the right approach with caution. The one thing, at least this week going into this game last week, our, our predictions were kind of based on which quarterback would be starting this week. We know it's Hendon hooker. He is the guy. The offense runs much better with him under center. It's clear. Heupel said he's the number one quarterback today. It's the first time he said that. And as an aside here, I feel like the way that Heupel's handled this quarterback situation has just been amazing. He literally switched quarterbacks without ever announcing it, really, under the guise of injuries, but was very vague, where nobody really even knew what the injuries were, and he he did this whole thing with n- no controversy. I mean, you remember when Jeremy Pruitt went through this, and he's he's putting Brian Maurer in, he's he's starting Jawan Jennings for a snap, he he's going to JT Shroud, he's back and forth. It's Garantano. It's it was just it was awful. He completely, I mean, he he messed that situation up. He he couldn't have handled that any worse. Hypo started with the wrong guy and made this switch, and nobody really even made a big deal about it. I mean, we talked about it, but it wasn't this huge cloud hanging over the program. The way he handled that was really impressive to me. Uh, maybe I'm the only one, but it's just, for some reason, it's really impressed me. I hadn't really thought about it, but you're you're definitely right. It it was pretty seamless. It may have helped that Bailey looked really pedestrian in the short time that he got to play. Cause I think if he had gone out and just really looked like a gamer, even in a garbage time in a crap game, I think even that would have gotten fans going Um, and thinking like, well, what if the hooker's not bad, but we could be better. You know, it just, it kind of shut everybody up, including me. Cause I, I talked about how I just, I just Mm -hmm. wanted to see the kid play. Right to make sure that all your options are exhausted and what exactly we have in the quarterback room, and it's yeah, the, the fact yeah the fact that Josh Dobbs was the number three quarterback uh, in twenty thirteen and was one of the best quarterbacks Tennessee's had in decades. Um, yeah, I mean that that gives you kind of a PTSD when it comes to number three quarterbacks when you think, hey, if Josh Dobbs was sitting down there on the depth chart and Nobody saw in practice that he could be the guy who's the next number three quarterback that that should have been starting from the get-go. Yeah, I get it. It's exactly it. Tennessee fans are always in a mode of the best guy on the team is the backup quarterback when, you know, when the main guy's not playing well. But Hooker, this time it was true, though, because Hooker was the... <laughs> the that, yeah, so really you're getting that in, reinforced this mm-hmm. season. I mean, the second guy was the, the better guy and whatever. But at, at this point... The kid is playing well and bygones are bygones. I, I believe that Heupel, I mean, the man clearly knows yeah. what he's doing on offense. And so I'm I'm sure that maybe they just got taken by the arm strength uh, and the potential. I think a lot of people have said maybe the ceiling of Milton is potentially higher. I don't know that I agree with that, but... Um, I think you could make that argument and then from there you could sort of rationalize like, okay, they just thought that maybe they could get more out of him. And then clearly poker came in and, and the guy is just, he's just a game day player. You just, that's where he is his best maybe. And, and now he's your number one. Hypel came out, said it today at his, at his press conference. And that's, that's for sure. And that was actually nice to hear, not have anything like that hanging over this game. Uh, and, and I mean, we all would have known it anyway. I don't think there's any question about that at this point. 
but that's true. I hadn't thought about how seamless it actually went, and he just kind of he he is certainly kind of uh, an NFL style coach in the way that he handles the injuries because mm-hmm. he just is like. Mm, yeah, you don't really need to know. Uh, about, He's like, yeah, I'm just not going to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just doesn't at all. And, and I Butch don't. Jones would just throw out random. Oh things, man, you know, random injuries. It was very. He would just straight up lie at times. Yes, and don't do that. Like, don't tell us. That's fine. Yeah, you might not like it, but you can respect that at least. If and and I. You know, if you do it enough, do I like it? No, I want to know what's going on. But if you do it enough, fine. Like I, I think of like um, the NHL, and I believe it's actually a policy of the league itself, not even of coaches. They do not across the board in the NHL. They do not specifically talk about injuries. They call them upper body and lower body injuries, and that's just which, what you get. It's just Philip Forsberg. Did. Yeah, I mean, it is. And and it's, so it's just like Philip Forsberg is out indefinitely with an upper body injury. Okay, <laughs> what does that even mean? When is this guy going to be back? And then suddenly they just pop up and they can play again. Um, and so if if you're going to do it, do it the way that Hypel is doing it. Don't give these dumb teasers and crap like Butch used to do. Just, just don't talk about it. So, uh, But back to the South Carolina game. Just looking at the stats from this game against Troy, South Carolina, 357 total yards of offense, 255 through the air, 102 on the ground. Troy, not exactly a world beater. They were 2-2 two and two coming into that game. I'm not sure they lost to. They lost to Liberty, which Liberty is <laughs> fine. Freeze. Yeah, they did. Yeah, and then they lost to Louisiana Monroe. So I don't think that they're exactly like a great team that gave South Carolina a run in that game. Um. And and just looking at that, it's pretty pedestrian. I didn't see... I watched most of the second half of that game, actually, and didn't see much where I went, that's going to be a problem. They got a couple of talented wide receivers. The running games... I, I don't know that they necessarily have a, a great guy at, at running back, at least not one that I saw. Um, and, and so, admittedly, I have not taking the world's deepest dive into South Carolina, but do you have thoughts on on them as an opponent for Tennessee? But defensively, they've been okay. I mean, they're 24th in the nation in opponents' points per game. They're not scoring. So I think uh, this won't be a game where Tennessee scores quite like they did against Missouri. But uh, I think they'll, they'll score – enough and South Carolina's offense isn't going to score enough. It's not going to be a shootout, but I think Tennessee wins by two scores. I have the final score. I've wrote down three scores now. I'm going with the last one because I kept changing it as I kept looking at the numbers and stuff. And I have Tennessee 31, South Carolina 17. I have gone back and forth. Obviously, I already talked about kind of my, my conflict here, but I'm Essentially, exactly there. I think it will be, I'll say 38 for Tennessee. For South Carolina, maybe 21, 38, 21, which I think that might have been, is that my prediction for the Missouri game? Or maybe it's 31, 21 or something? No, let's see. You had uh, 34, 27 for Missouri. Oh, so I thought that was going to be really close. This one, yeah. I had 34, 24. So we're both right there. I, I could see it being a situation where at halftime you're only up by three or something, and then you separate yourself in, in that second half, um, make some splash plays, score some touchdowns, and then and then you get you, you make that separation and win by double digits. Yeah, so I, think, I think experience here would be the difference. Josh Heupel is not a first time head coach like like Shane Beamer. I think that'll be the difference in this. Uh, I hope so. Because if if you get outcoached by Shane Beamer, clearly outcoached in this game, that would be really disappointing from Josh Heupel. Not, not to put too high of expectations on the guy in his fifth or sixth game ever yeah. at this school. But yeah, you've been there and you've done that. You've coached enough college football at this point. You should not be getting out coached by a guy who's never been a coach before and has been playing close games with Troy. And that's definitely a big red flag for, for any coach getting beat by a first time coach or a first time sec coach. I think 
Uh, you looked at Ed Ogeron at LSU. That's a crazy stat I saw. He's like one in three in his last four games against first-time SEC coaches. Huh. He lost to Missouri uh, and, and, and Mississippi State last year. I think they beat Arkansas, and then he lost to Auburn this year. All, all of those programs with new coaches. I mean, that's that guy's on the way out. He's got to be. That is interesting. Um, hmm. Because, I mean, that that was kind of the talking point. You just made me think of it. That was the talking point with Mike Vrabel with this Titans game, the horrific loss from this weekend, is because they lost to a guy who's coaching in his fourth NFL game ever. And, you know, he just he clearly got out coached, and it's just an added mm-hmm. reason why I'm just like, I'm be done with this guy. Fire this guy. We're done here because it is 100% a huge red flag. But what if you get out coached by? And, we're near the end of the podcast here, so if you've stuck around this long, I'm sure you can handle a, a bit of Titans, a slight amount of talk here. What do you do if you fire Mike Vrabel? Where do you go? It's not like college football where you've kind of looked at who's built these programs up. In the NFL, it's trying to find the next big thing, right? Like the next young offensive mind that's going to, you know, you're not looking for a big name. You're looking for a smart offensive mind who's often not a big name. So where do you go in that situation? I don't know because Vrabel was totally off the map when we hired him. I mean, he was just some guy that John Robinson knew in the past, and I had never even heard of. What was he, the defensive coordinator for the Texans Texans, at the time? Which their defense was really bad that one year he was the defensive coordinator. Exactly, and and, and that has bared itself out. I mean, the the defense... uh, the, the offensive scheme is so simplistic and predictable and embarrassing because the set of players that you have is so good. You have a, you have the greatest running back of the last, however, 10 years. Um, one of the greatest running backs of all time. I think it will end up it being will be. with, yeah. with uh, Derek Henry. Now, Julio and, uh, and AJ Brown weren't playing in that game, but you're playing the freaking jets and the jets are just an absolute garbage can trash. And, like, so I, I don't know, but I also look at what Vrabel is doing and go, how can it get a whole lot worse than this predictable garbage? Because like on defense, you're putting a decent set of players out there at this point. They went out and got a decent set of players and they still suck. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Do I don't you know. Think, do you think Dean P's like retiring and then showing up with another team was a big red flag for Vrabel? So here's, yes, absolutely. Here is my, this is really getting in the noosh of the Titans here. <laughs> I apologize for anybody that doesn't want to listen. There's a skip button uh, on the podcast app. Um, I think with Vrabel, he actually respected Pease and let Pease work. And he doesn't with these new guys because he just went, he hired from within and hired a guy who's never been a defensive coordinator. And he just made a bro hire. And he's such a, he's such a like good old boy network guy. He, all he does is go out and get former Patriots players and, and just, you know, guy like he just pulls from his network. That's the only thing that he does. He doesn't go out and actually look for the best guy. He has a giant arrogant air about him. And, Dean Pease was a long time, long tenured guy in the NFL. And I think he actually looked at him in those first few years and went, I defer to you. And now he has these young guys in here and he's probably behind the scenes being, I know better. I'm the head coach. I whatever, you know, and then uh, on, on offense, I mean, just in, inexplicable with the set of players that he has to work with, but that's a whole other thing. But although it's a similar situation, you went and you uh, hired from within and you know, a total no name guy. And so I just, I'm done. I, I, he's a clown. But to, to tie this back into Tennessee, the, uh, the volunteers, what you said there kind of made me think about this. One thing Tennessee fans don't have to worry about. I mean, the strength of this team is the offense, right? I mean, that's Josh Heupel's strength. You never have to worry about the offensive coordinator leaving. I mean, he is the offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. essentially. It doesn't matter if Alex Golish takes another job. That precedent um, has been set. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that is the good news there for, for Tennessee. And the uh, Hypo uses this scheme, but I don't think he's necessarily married to everything about it. I mean, he, you have to be willing to adapt to run this scheme. 
because the whole point of the scheme is adapting within the game and within what the defense is giving you. That's how they beat Bowling Green. The plan wasn't to run the ball against Bowling Green, but it's what they had to do. They did it. They won the game. I think if you see a team in the SEC start to defend against what Heupel's doing, he's going to go out there and figure something else out because this isn't who he's always been. He he kind of discovered this throughout his coaching career at Oklahoma. He kind of evolved. So I think you have a offensive mind that's going to continue to evolve, and, and as long as Tennessee's winning – and he's the head coach. You don't have to worry about an assistant leaving and the wheels falling off. Yeah. The best guys, that is, as we already talked about, being an aggressive coach is a marker of a great coach. But all those great guys, I mean, one of Saban's best traits is the fact that he adapts to football. He hasn't let football pass him by. Mm-hmm. And that's why he has stayed great. And he's the greatest Maybe the Titans coach. can go hire Joe Brady. I think that might be the next big star uh, in the NFL, just because of what he did with LSU. And the more you see them falter without him there, the more it's very apparent that he is the sole reason that that offense was able to work the way it did in 2019. So maybe, you know, maybe in the NFL, he'll be able to lead a team like that. It does scare me a little bit because I think one of the main problems with the Titans is the front office. You're going to have to ax the GM too. And I, mm. that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Cause I mean, the, he, he pulled a Derek Dooley. He went and had... So this this year in the second round, he he drafted a total nothing offensive lineman. The year before, first round pick was Isaiah Wilson. Biggest total bust. bust. Of all time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, yes. I mean, he never even saw the field. And, and you just you shipped him out of there and got nothing for him. And it was mm-hmm. a totally useless crap nothing. And then in this offseason, you ship Dennis Kelly out, who was a, a yeah. super veteran offensive lineman and all this stuff. And now the offensive line is getting destroyed. You, Brian Tannehill got sacked seven times against the Jets. Seven. Um, and so, like, you just, you have to fire the GM, too. What's so, your, so. before we end, what, what is your current feelings on Taylor Dewan as a football player? He can go podcast in some other town. That's all I know. And his right. and his little crony too, the whatever guy. He's oh, out. Will Compton. Oh, dude, he's out here uh, defending defending his boy. You know, because they're all friends. Like I said, they're all. It's all an old boy. My my homie network, and it and it's annoying. Oh, yeah, he he took a shot at one of our own A to Z sports. I saw know, that, Luke, and, and I like Austin's reply to Will. I mean, Luke is in those press conferences every day. He's talking to these guys face to face it's not like he's hiding behind a computer and tweeting criticisms he he owns it he faces it every single day so if and he's very professional what he does if somebody's going to to question anybody the titans uh that's not the one to come at because he's he's in the facility every day he's he's facing these guys yeah i mean i i have way more i i don't necessarily watch what he i mean i i follow him but i don't necessarily watch what he does with Vrabel every day but i have way more respect for a guy who has to go and look Vrabel in the face every day other than a guy who kisses Vrabel's butt on a podcast <laughs> and and you know who who was a former player for the guy like i just don't and i don't care if they like came at us and kiss my butt i don't care and and because the team stinks Vrabel sucks Vrabel sucks you know whatever come after my podcast i don't care <laughs> To have like so many of the people that are Tennessee fans aren't Titans fans, so like I don't. It's not like we're gonna lose a lot of listenership, yeah. Because Will Compton said something mean about me, but like I, uh, that's bad. Don't I, yeah. Don't get me started. Taylor Juan, he he gets his butt kicked, then he has one decent game back. That was last week, one decent game back, and then he just reverts back to sucking. And so I'm sorry. I know he's coming off a big injury, but he can go be injured and in podcast somewhere else. I don't know. Yeah, at some point you do have to decide if you want to be an NFL player or a podcaster. For me, that decision was made in my youth because a uh, professional athlete was not going to be a, a journey for me. I mean, it, yeah, it, it made me... I actually really liked that show at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And his whole air, even during the Titans screwing up, annoyed me so much where I was just like, you're, you care more about this than you care about playing for this football team. And, you know, I want to say, Oh, the Titans pays your bills. I'm sure he makes a ton of money off that podcast too. Barstool sports has massive numbers, whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, if that's what you want to do, go do that. 
I am a fan of this football team, not a fan of Taylor Lewan. And that's that dude, that's a whole huge overarching thing in in so many with Tennessee, you've seen it. I think Philip Fulmer was a character like this, was continues to be a character like this, where he feels like he can be bigger than Tennessee. And and so he he can just be this sort of working the back channels, stabbing people in the back type of guy, and nobody's gonna care. Well, no. The fans care about Tennessee. They don't care about Philip Fulmer at the end of the day. And we saw how quick the fans kind of turned on Fulmer, too, when things went south. Yep. There wasn't a lot of defense of Fulmer uh, when all this stuff with Pruitt went down. Yeah. I And so I, uh, that, that's that's a whole other can of worms. I'll just cut it off there. I, I don't care to have podcast wars or whatever. I don't, that's not what I'm trying to do. I just want the Titans to be good. And if we have to find a new coach, I don't care if it's Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel can go coach somewhere else. It's not my problem. That's it. <laughs> I am Charlie Burris. That is Zach Reagan. You get me going, dude. You know, <laughs> you know exactly the buttons to push to get me into some ridiculous rant on here. Charlie Burris. Zach Reagan. At Charlie underscore Burris. At Zach TNT. At A to Z Sports. A to Z Sports. Nashville. Dot com and just a to z uh, sports.com and uh the a to z sports podcast network feed rate review subscribe and other than that i think that is it yeah we'll talk to y'all next week see you guys later